Well, welcome again, everyone. We're in week three of our series called I Doubt It. And we want to look at a common doubt that many people have this morning. And it's when we have a doubt about God's goodness, doubting God's goodness. And many times what precedes that is a a question that we have surrounding doubting God's goodness. And it is, why do bad things happen to good people? Have you heard that before? Ever felt that way before? Why is it that bad things happen to good people? I have a friend of mine named Clay, who is a great guy, very generous uh, with his life, a very kind man. But he's kind of eccentric, and he also uh, is kind of a wild man. Uh, He's a party guy. And many times when I'm with him, people will come up and they'll be like, Dude, I can't believe that you're hanging out with this guy. I usually take that as a compliment. I must be hanging out with the right people. Because I absolutely believe that if Jesus were here in physical form walking on planet Earth, these would be the, precisely the, the type of person like Clay is who he would be reaching out to, building a friendship, calling him to be his disciple. And, and I love Clay for his rawness and his honesty. Now, Clay was raised in a cult his whole life. And in his early 20s, he got married. And when he got about 35, he started thinking that this thing that we're doing that we call a church, for some reason is not doing the good that I think an organization like this should. And he started questioning this organization, and he started questioning God and doubting God's goodness, and he finally pulled away from this community altogether. And when he did that, his wife got very upset. You see, his wife, her father was one of the leaders of this group, And in the midst of that, she got very frustrated that he was not coming with her, and she got angry. Well, the relationship really got kind of strange a little bit, and um, in the midst of this, he said the breaking point for him came one day when he went ahead and put his daughter to bed one evening and after he had put her to bed she stopped him before he walked out of the room and said daddy why are you following satan and he said i was so dumbfounded by this question and he tried to convince her no i'm not and daddy just doesn't necessarily agree with everything and he walks downstairs to his wife and says you know This is what our daughter just said. And she goes, yeah, why? And all of a sudden there became this coldness, this hardness for hours and then days. And eventually she took both of the girls, packed up, walked out of the house, left him all alone, and she filed for divorce. 
And the whole community that he had been a part of, they had all abandoned him. They walked away from him. And he was all by himself. Well, it was in the midst of this great pain that he was experiencing and questioning God and God's goodness that he came into my life. And we built up a friendship. I got to know him. We started going to breakfast regularly together. In each of these breakfasts, he would, he would have questions. But again, he, he wanted me to know straight up that I do not believe in God. And I do not believe that God is a good God. And I said, I understand. But we kept meeting together until one day he asked me this question. He said, Chris, he said, I don't know what is true anymore. What is truth? Can, can you tell me? I, I don't know. And I paused for a moment and I said, well, Clay, there may be many things in life that people say are true that aren't true. I'm not necessarily always sure that the church is true or that religion is true or other things are true. But I do believe in one thing that is true in my life, and it may be the only thing, but it is Jesus himself, that Jesus Christ is true. He actually said he was the way and the truth and the life. And I remember him saying, well, I really don't know this Jesus that you're talking about because we never claimed Jesus to be a deity. We never claimed him to be divine. And so I don't know this Jesus that you're talking about. But the God that I was a part of, I know that is not a good God. And I'm not sure God exists. And over the past couple of years, I've sat down for breakfast. We've had tons of conversations and he'll ask questions when he asks these questions many times you know what my response is i don't know you see one of the problems as you get further in your relationship with christ is you think you have to have an answer for everything and many times the best answer you could ever give is to tell a person who's struggling with the goodness of god i don't know and i think it's because of this that clay has actually respected me and he's listened more and again he he's very far from god but it's my prayer that one day he might experience the goodness of god today i want us to look at a passage of scripture in mark chapter 10 mark was a follower of jesus and he writes this story you need to kind of know the background of it that he is approached by a person who is an up-and-coming community leader. The guy is extremely wealthy. He's a good man. And he comes to Jesus, and he has some questions for him. And in verse 17, this is what it says, Mark chapter 10. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Now again, folks, you need to understand that this is a man of power, of means. And this kind of thing didn't happen. Respected leaders did not run to people and bow at their knees, but this man does. So you realize in the midst of this that there must be some sense of urgency. And this man comes with humility, but he also comes with some genuineness. So this guy runs up to him, 
and he addresses him in a very unique way. He calls him what? He calls him a what? What is it? A good teacher. A good teacher. And then he asks him maybe the most important question, the question that is on all of our hearts. He asks Jesus this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, what's very interesting in this passage of Scripture is that Jesus doesn't give him a response. He's the Son of God. He could answer anything, but Jesus did what he often did. When people would ask him questions, he would ask another question. Do you have someone in your life that always asks a question after you ask a question and you hate them? Well... There are people that weren't too happy about Jesus either. And he would ask another question. And so he asked this question, why do you call me, what's the word? Why do you call me good? And then Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Now I did some research this week. What's very interesting is that you can go through all ancient Jewish writings. And what you'll find is that there is never a place where you find anyone going to a rabbi, another teacher of the law, and telling them that they are a good teacher. Now, you might ask, well, why is that? Because everyone knew immediately that when you would go to someone and there would be a response to any rabbi, the response that the rabbi would give is, there is nothing good but the law. You see, Jewish rabbis were into the rules, the regulations, the rituals of life. Jesus, though, was no ordinary rabbi. He was no ordinary teacher. He was not so concerned about the rules as he was about relationships. And he had a perfect relationship with God the Father. And he realized, too, that the law was something that he actually came to fulfill. And so he doesn't go to the law. He goes to the giver of the law to his own father, and he says this. He says, there is no one good except God. And the Son of God then did something and said something to this rich, young, up-and-coming star that in my mind, folks, is unfair. I've read this passage Multiple times, I've taught on it multiple times, and every time I read it, I'm thinking, Jesus, you are not fair. This is what Jesus said. He goes on, he says, well, you want to have eternal life? He goes, well, obey the commandments. And the guy's like, well, check them off. I've done them all. I've done all the commandments. Check, 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 check. I'm good. And then Jesus said this. Well, then go and sell. All your possessions, give them to the poor, and then come and follow me. And Scripture says this guy went away very sad because he was very wealthy. Now, when I read that question, when I read that story, questions immediately come to my mind. Why this guy? It's the only place in Scripture in which Jesus calls so specific, specifically for a person to sell everything, give it all away, and then come and to follow him. There were disciples that we don't even find in the text that he said that to. But for some reason, he says it to this guy. Why this guy? 
Why did he say it? I mean, this guy is sincere. He's humble. He comes. He's on his knees. He's saying, I'm keeping the laws. I'm doing what God's word says. And again, in in my mind, when I look at that, I'm like, this is not fair. It's not fair. You ever experienced this before where you're going through life, you see something in the world, you see something happen in someone's life, and you're just like, that's not fair. It's just not fair. I mean, I think about this earthquake that hit Italy. There's 15,000 people that literally have nowhere to go. They have nothing to go back to. And I think to myself in the midst of that often, why all those people? And why not other people? I think about the starvation that's happening right now in Syria and in Yemen. It doesn't even get on the news, folks. You've got to search for it. But there are Christians that are trying to feed starving people And when I look at a picture like this, anyone want to guess how old this person is? 18. They're from Yemen. Doesn't even hit the news. And when I see pictures like that, folks, I go, this is not fair. Today, 25,000 people, 25,000 kids, 25,000 children will die due to hunger or hunger-related causes. You know what I often think when I think about that number? Why those kids? Why those kids? Not my kids. Then I think about the poorest person in the Jar Community Church. The poorest person here on a global scale, folks, has ultimate riches compared to the rest of the world. Do you realize that half of the people in the world, folks, live on $2 a day or less? $2 a day. That's it. And for some of them, that will be their entire life. And I think to myself, why are we so wealthy? And why are there... People who are starving to death. And why is it that many times I, myself, and others I know, we just don't even pay attention to it. We do nothing about it. It just isn't fair. I think of a woman in our church who lost both of her parents in the last nine months. Both of her parents lost both of them. It's not fair. I think of... uh, Someone who had a nephew that just died in an accident yesterday. It's not fair. I think of Christian couples who are great followers of Jesus and they're doing their best to follow God. And they're going to be great parents, but they can't have children for some reason. And then there's somebody else who gets pregnant, who doesn't even want to get pregnant, and then has an abortion. It just isn't fair. Why is it that there are people in our church who have migraine headaches, and I've prayed for many of you, many of these individuals, and I pray for them, 
And I know that when I look at Scripture, folks, and you look at some of the healing that Jesus provided for people, Jesus could easily heal someone's migraine headache, and yet he doesn't all the time. It's just not fair. And folks, the list goes on and on and on, doesn't it? There's a lot of things in life that when I look at it, maybe when you look at it, the first thing you think is it doesn't seem fair. I mean, where is God in the midst of these events? You know, today I have a feeling that if we were to pull back the blinds of your life and what you're going through right now, that some of you are going through some tough stuff. You're going through some hurt, some pain, some struggles. You've got questions. You've got suffering you're dealing with. You're going through some trials. And when you're going through some tough stuff, folks, I found that one of two things typically happen to a person's faith. And it's our big idea for this morning. This is your first fill-in, or you can do it on the app. But here it is, that when you're going through suffering and trials and pain, your faith will, it will either shake your faith, or it will prove your faith. When you're going through something like that, it either is going to shake your faith and rattle you, or it's going to actually take you to a deeper level of faith that you've never experienced before in your life. One of Jesus' friends, one of his best friends, a guy that actually helped start the church, a guy by the name of Peter, he addresses this whole concept of proving of our faith. Now, every time you read First or Second Peter, which is at the end of the Bible, I'd encourage you to do that, but at the end, when he was writing, you always got to remember who it is that he is writing to. Peter was writing to a group of Christians who perhaps were some of the most persecuted people ever in the world, but in all centuries, but definitely of Christ followers. You see, it was very common in those days for them to say, hey, go get a whole bunch of Christians. So they'd wrangle up a whole bunch of Christians. They'd come to this Colosseum. They would fill it full of people. They would put the Christians out in the front and then they would let loose of lions that would actually eat them alive as a form of entertainment. And so, as Peter is writing to these Christ followers, these are the kinds of people that he's writing to who are being persecuted for their faith, who have seen their friends, family, mauled and eaten alive by lions. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, he writes this. In this, and he's talking about suffering here, in your suffering, you greatly rejoice, he says, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, there have come, these have come so that your, what? What's the next word? So that your faith of greater worth than gold may be, what's the next word? So that your faith may be proved Genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Christ Jesus is revealed. He's saying these trials that you're going through, this suffering that you're experiencing, this pain that is going on in your life, there may just be a purpose 
within it, that your faith, the most valuable thing that you have, folks, in your life is your faith, whatever faith it is. More valuable than anything on planet Earth, and it's more valuable and greater in worth than gold. May it be proved genuine. You see, folks, this is what I've found. It's easy to have great faith when everything's going great in your life. When everything's going well, the finances are good, kids are good, spouse is okay, you know. But when all is, you know, good, man, I got faith, great faith. But it's much more difficult, it's much more difficult to have faith when the walls are caving in and everything's not right. And yet it's exactly that time that if you continue to seek God, that's when faith, folks, is proved. Now, for the rest of our time, what I want to do is I don't want to try to defend God. I'm not here to defend God. I'm not going to offer you a cheap answer to an expensive question. I'm not going to insult your intelligence by giving you three simple things for you to have faith. I'm not going to try to pretend that I understand what you specifically are going through in your life or what you have gone through in your life because I don't know. Instead, what I want to do today is something that I think takes much greater faith, and that is to point you to a very, very good God and that you can trust in His presence and that whatever you're going through, folks, He is enough. So for those of you who are hurting, and for those of you who are not hurting today, I want to give you some good news. You're going to hurt pretty soon. That's just the way life is. You're either in a storm, going into the storm, or coming out of a storm. But there's a storm of brewing coming. It's just going to happen. So how do you keep the faith when your world is falling apart? How do you keep faith when your world is falling apart? Well, I think there are two biblical ways to be able to do this with the help of God's Spirit. And the first is this, that you embrace God's purpose in your pain. That even when you're going through the pain, that you embrace God's purpose. In the middle of the pain, when you don't see it, you don't feel it, you don't believe it, I'm telling you folks that it's there. And take comfort in the fact that God is present, He is a sovereign God, and God never wastes your hurt. Whatever hurts you're going through right now, God will not waste that. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. Paul, the guy who wrote close to half of the New Testament, writes these words. Paul actually was one of those individuals who would get the Christians together so that they could be killed. I mean, Paul killed Christians. I bet there's some Christians you know you'd like to kill, right? Don't name them by name right now. But this is what he writes, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a what? What's it say? An eternal glory 
that far outweighs them all. It outweighs all of our troubles. In other words, there is purpose behind your pain. Then he goes on to say, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For the present troubles that you are experiencing right now in your life, how giant they are, how huge they are, how big they are, in light of eternal glory, in light of a place where there is no suffering, no pain, no sadness, in light of eternal glory, a glory, an eternity that goes on forever and ever and ever, it never ends, we begin to see that maybe then our troubles are a little bit lighter, a little bit more momentary than we would ever realize. And perhaps behind the pain is something that's actually bigger and broader and that God might actually use that in a greater way than you could ever imagine. And it's God's purpose in the middle of those difficult times. Now let me give you an example of this. I did not run this by my wife first. She left the first celebration in the middle of it. So, no, I'm joking. But it's a disgusting illustration, okay? So you've been duly warned. Here it is. One day there is a bird that is flying south for the winter. And as the bird is flying south for the winter, he goes straight into an ice storm. And ice starts pelting down on his wings, so much so that he can't really stay afloat anymore. And so he has to actually land. And he lands on the ground. But the ice keeps coming down. And the snow keeps coming down. And it gets colder and colder. And pretty soon he is frozen still. And he thinks to himself, I never thought it would end this way. A few minutes later, a cow comes and walks right over top of him. And this is the only way I know how to describe it. He deposits a gift for the bird. And this falls down. I told you it was disgusting ahead of time, okay? And it makes this deposit on this bird. You might call it manure from heaven. I don't know. But it happens right there. And all of a sudden, now this bird thinks... Now I'm not only going to freeze to death, but I'm going to stink in the process. Then, all of a sudden, something happens. Surprise! The warmth of the manure starts melting the ice that the bird is inside. And the warmer it gets, the more it starts to melt. And this little bird starts getting some joy and excitement. Like, I might actually get out of this thing. And it happens enough to where it starts chirping. Chirp, 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 chirp. But then, Satan's leading enemy comes, a cat. And it hears this beautiful chirping. It digs out the little bird out of the manure. And it eats the bird and it dies. Tragic story. 
what you got to think about cats. <laughs> now, three morals behind this story. Not everyone who drops manure on you is your enemy. Okay? Number two, not every single person that digs you out of a hole is your friend. And the last thing is, when manure hits you, keep your mouth shut. (laughs) Now, seriously here. Just because you're facing some pain and you see no way that things are going to change, that even in that moment when you're experiencing that, it does not mean that God is not good. Because I'm telling you, He is. And just because you give yourself away to this pain, And you have this pain and you would say, I would do anything in the world to get rid of it so I don't have to carry it anymore. Maybe eternally you don't see the whole thing and maybe God is using that for your own good and for the good of the kingdom. So you embrace your purpose in the midst of your pain. One day Jesus is walking down a road and he sees this man. He finds out that this man has been born blind and immediately everybody is looking around and they're asking the question, well, who is to blame for this man being blind? This is what it says in John chapter 9. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, whose fault is it? Who sinned, this man or his parents? In other words, what they're trying to figure out is someone has to be the person that we have to blame. So is it the parents or is it him? Watch what Jesus said. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. In other words, Jesus is like, we're not going to give the blame to anyone. Then he goes on to say this. But this happened, check this out, so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Folks, that's what I call having pain, but there is a purpose behind it. This was a hurt that was not wasted. This was a trial that this man was going through that was not ignored. This was a pain with a purpose behind it. This happened, why? So that God might be displayed through his life. And Jesus goes on and he heals this man. And the rumor starts. Jesus can heal. And you know what? Today, Jesus still can heal. He's still opening blind eyes. So you embrace your purpose even in the middle of your pain. Our family, a couple of months ago, my mom went to her routine appointment with her oncologist And when she got there and they did the mammogram, they found something on her breast that they thought was very, very suspicious. Now, what you need to know is that 23 years ago, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. They did not know whether she would live or not live. And she went through radiation and chemotherapy. And then 12 years ago, she had a second occurrence of this as well. And so every time, folks, that we get a result like this, you can imagine the type of concern that it has not only for her and my dad, 
but for everyone in the family. And many of you prayed for her, and I want to thank you for that. You prayed for her. And when they did the biopsy, what they saw on the image was not cancer, but it was scar tissue that even from the very first kind of thing 23 years ago had shown itself. And in the midst of that, her faith was strengthened, her energy was lifted up, and we praise God for the fact that that's what it was. Now, this is what I know, folks. Anyone who experiences the C word, whether you experience it yourself or you have a family member that is going through that, it never leaves you, even when they go into remission, that it still isn't there. And so for the past 23 years, it's something that I would never, ever wish upon anyone, not my mom or anyone else. But let me tell you what. In some mysterious way, God has been able to use this as a gift for our family. The faith that has increased in our family because of what she has gone through has been tremendous. And I can't fully explain it, but God has done more with the pain of her having cancer over these last 23 years at different times than we could ever imagine, and he has brought good out of it in ways that I could never express. Yes, that's, that's something you should be hearing. And I never wish it, though, on anyone. I would never wish this on any family, but God has a purpose in her pain. Now, for those of you who are going through pain right now, and you're like, okay, Embrace God's purpose, but I'm going through something right now in my pain. What else can I do? When it's caving in, what do I do? And this is what I would encourage you, to embrace God's peace in your pain. That you can't do it by yourself, but you have to embrace His purpose in your pain, and you embrace God's peace in your pain. A peace that you yourself cannot understand. Paul, again, the guy who wrote half of the New Testament, he's in a Roman jail. He's in the slammer. He's a prisoner, and he pins these words. These are words, folks, that people have turned to, billions of people throughout centuries. When they're going through pain, when they're going through hurt, they they cling to these words. And this is what he wrote. Do not be anxious about, what's the next word? What is it? What does that include? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like anything is anything. Anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Okay? In fact, let's all say those six words together. One group. The first celebration did not do well with this. So I'm sure you will do much better, okay? On three. One, two, three. Do not be anxious about anything. Anything. But in every situation. How many situations? Which ones? All of them. Every situation. Every one of them, by prayer and petition, with what? With thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, stop right there. Folks, when you cannot go any further, when it feels like there is no light at the end of the tunnel, when all you see is doom and gloom, and your faith is just barely holding on, and you do not understand anything... All of a sudden, 
you may be divinely positioned to receive a gift from God, from a good God. And this is the gift. He says, and the what? What is it? Peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. You can't explain it. It's impossible. And yet there are times if we surrender ourselves enough that His peace comes and gives us something that we can't even understand ourselves. One of my favorite stories of all times is a story about a Christ follower, a guy by the name of Horatio Spafford. And Horatio lived in Chicago in the 1800s. And there were many reasons why, folks, that he should have doubted the goodness of God. But no matter what happened in his life, his faith continued to prove itself. Horatio's first major pain came when his four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. And then in 1871, the great fire of Chicago came in and it took all of his business, all of his wealth, all of his possessions. He had nothing. And so two years go by and in 1873, there was an event that happened into his life that shook him to the core. And it could have shaken his faith. But because of God's presence, it was proved once again. In 1873, a couple years had been since the fire, and he had collected some wealth and some money, and so he decided that the family needed to get away to have a vacation. And so the whole family was going to Europe on a ship, and he was just getting ready, he and his wife Annie and their four girls, and just as they're getting ready to go, some business comes up that was going to help him get back on his feet, and so he stayed, but he sent his wife and his four girls ahead. And this ship left, and it's heading to Europe, and it collides with another ship. And in 12 minutes, their ship sank. And in her journal, Annie says, the last thing I remember, his wife is holding on to her four girls. And then she blacked out as they went into the ocean and lost their lives. The only thing that saved Annie was the fact that there was a piece of wood, a log from the ship that she had landed on. And when she woke up, she saw no one around. In 12 minutes, her world was turned upside down. The only thing that she could no to do was to send a telegram back to her husband. And this is what she wrote. All girls are gone. I alone survive. And so Horatio gets on a ship to go see his grieving wife. And when he gets to the place in the ocean where His four daughters had lost their life. 
He decides he'll go down to the state, to his stateroom, to a cabin. And he begins to write a song. And the words go like this. When peace like a river attends my way. He said, sometimes your, your life is like a river that's peaceful and everything's going well and everything's going great and there are no complications and everything is good. When peace like a river attends my way or when sorrow like sea bellows roll, just like one wave after another wave after another wave of discouragement and loss and fear and disgruntlement and frustration and pain and hurt, wave after wave after wave. He says, though whatever my life, whatever the circumstances in my life, God has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And you know, I was uh, thinking about it this week that some of you are going through some tough stuff. Maybe you try to hide it from everyone else, but you're going through some tough stuff. And I thought maybe you might just need a moment to sing these words to remind yourself that you're not alone when you go through this. So the words will come on the side screen and Derek's going to uh, lead us in this. When peace I like a river attends my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot though it's caused me to say it is well with my soul and I was thinking today that some of you are going through some pain you're going through some hurt there's something that's going in your life and you're just wondering God could it be well with my soul could you give me the power that it would be well with my soul. But the reality is in your mind, in your, in your heart right now, even as you sit there, you're like, I sing the words, but I do not believe it. It is not well with my soul. And you think, not only is it not well with my soul, but like Clay and so many other people, you're like, is God fair? Is God fair? 
And you know, I have to answer you absolutely with this question, with this answer. And the answer is no. God is not fair. God is good. And God is just. But the best news that you could have today, folks, is that God is not fair. Because if God were fair, all of the mess-ups, screw-ups, flub-ups that you have done in your life, Scripture tells us that there is a penalty to that, and the penalty is death. That's what you deserve. You deserve death for some of the bonehead things that you have done. I deserve it for some of the things that I've done. But because He is a good, good Father, because He is a good, good God, and His mercy is good, and His grace is good, and His kindness is good, He did something for us that we did not deserve. He said, I'm going to take my one and only Son, and I will send Him to planet Earth to die and to take on all of the sin of the world, including your sin. And when He took it on, He set you free. Psalm 103 says it so well when it says this. God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities, our wrongs, our wrongdoings. But as far as the east is from the west, and I don't know how far that is, but the scripture says as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And that's something to be so grateful for. You know, a couple of weeks ago, there was a young couple in our church who was looking so forward to having the birth of their first child, a a little girl. They'd been anticipating for over nine months for this to take place. And the day finally came and she delivered the baby and they were so excited and within just a few hours, complications came and the baby died. And I get the phone call from this young couple saying, will you help with our baby's funeral? And I said, yeah, it'd be an honor. And I started to prepare and to prepare. And I've done many funerals. I've had suicide funerals. I've had multiple funerals and all kinds of things. But I've never had this kind of funeral before. And I prepared and I prepared and I prepared. But nothing was coming that made any sense whatsoever. And finally, in a moment, I just cried out to God. I go, God, I don't know what to say to give comfort to this couple. Would you speak to me, God? And I didn't hear anything audibly. I actually heard something that was much, much more strong than that. In my spirit, I heard God say, Chris, I just want you to say that God is with you and He's a good God. 
And I argued with God on that. I was like, God, I, maybe I was maybe it's bad chili I ate last night. I don't know. But this doesn't sound like the right thing to say. I mean, if I'm that couple, I, I don't feel you very present. And I don't feel your goodness. And I argued with him. I got all the way up to the podium on Friday at Parsons Funeral Home, still arguing with him. And finally, I looked to this group of people and I said, this is how I want to begin. I want you to know that the greatest promise of Scripture is God is with you and God is a good God. And all of a sudden, you saw people kind of have half smiles. And the mom and dad are over there to my right near this small little tiny coffin and they're like, we we just needed that. And the funeral went on and I was so impressed by this young couple and their faith that is being proved in a way that no one should ever experience. And as I'm out in the little lobby area, and there's family around, both faith-filled families, great families, parents of both of the kids come up to me and they're like, you know what? We're so glad you said what you said because God is a good God. He's a very, very, very good God. The dad of the husband or father said, This is a horrible, tragic thing. But God is good. And so maybe you're sitting there today and you're like clay and you have a lot of questions about the goodness of God. You're going through some pain. And this is what I want you to know. I don't have any answers for you. I don't have any explanations for you. All I have is a promise. But I believe it is more true than any other promise you could ever have in your life. It is truer than anything I could ever say. And it's this. That God is a good God. And that He is always with you. And He loves you no matter what. Let's stand for closing prayer. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up. If you'd like prayer for anything, uh, these folks would, would love to pray with you. And so uh, I'm just going to invite you for a moment to uh, close your eyes. Just have a moment with God. And I have no doubt that in a size of a group this large that... Some of you, you're hurting right now. You're hurting. And you're going through some major challenges. You got some pain, some questions, some struggles, some trials that you're dealing with. And maybe you're sitting there and you're just like, oh man, I am. I'm going through this. And you're just thinking to yourself, Chris, would you pray for me? Chris, would would you just pray with me? I'm hurting. I need prayer. And if that's you right now, don't be ashamed. The lights are out. No one will see it. But if you're hurting right now and you need prayer, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand. 
If you're going through some hurts right now in your life, maybe you've covered it up. No one knows, but you know that you just raised your hand. Good. And so if you just put your hand down, I want to pray for you. God, I pray right now for each person who raised their hand, God. I pray that you would give them the strength to know that you are a good God and you are with them and you are for them and you are enough for their hurts. God, I pray for eyes to see you at work. They're going through something right now. They can't see you working. And whether it's in this moment or in the months or in the years ahead, God, God, would you help them to see your purpose in the middle of their pain? God, I pray that you would take comfort, that you don't waste a hurt. That you are in all things working together for the good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And God, now as we seek you, I thank you that we can find you. And I pray, God, I pray a prayer of faith believing that you will do this. That no matter what people are facing, God, we could echo the words of Horatio Spafford. It is well, it is well with my soul. Because you're here, God. You're here right now with people, letting them know you're not walking this alone. I pray now that in your presence, that that no matter what people are facing, God, that people would experience a peace that surpasses all understanding. Now, maybe today, some of you, you've hit rock bottom. Well, guess what? God may have allowed you to do that. So when you got to the bottom, you could only look up. And as you look up, that God is looking down upon you and saying, "Ah, I've been waiting for this. Now, maybe others of you, you're on the top of everything. Finances, everything's going well, but you're lonely. You are so lonely, and you have a void in your life. And if you're at either place, if you're at rock bottom or you're at the top of it all, but you feel alone and there's this huge void, that maybe today is the day where you would say, Jesus, I need you. God, I want to give my one and only life to you. Even in my pain, I want to do that. And if you're ready to make that decision today, to say, God, even in the middle of my pain, I want to give my one and only life to you, that you would just say this prayer with me. They're your words, not my words, but I invite you to pray them after me. Let's pray this, everybody in one voice. Loving God, I am sorry for my sins. Forgive me. Make me new. I believe you died for me and rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I can follow you for the rest of my life. Thanks for new life. I give you mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Hey, let's give a hand to everybody who said that prayer for the first time. Welcome to the kingdom of God. We're so glad you're here. And if you would, if you said that prayer for the first time, just come up. We have a free gift for you of a Bible. You can fill out a card. We'd like to give that to you. And if you're going through some hurt, we have something called Surviving the Holidays. That is next November 14th. There's a little insert. Take that with you. But don't go through the holidays alone. Survive them with some people. And uh, have a great week. Know you're loved in this place.